Thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Wilson. And I'm Alex Hogue. And you're listening to Diesel Performance Podcast. Guys, we got a great episode today with a true diesel performance enthusiast on the line. He's going to be talking about some of his previous builds, some of the current projects he's on, and some of the future uh, plans that he has. But real quick, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Of course, that's Exergy Performance. Uh, they are the premium when it comes to high-pressure fuel systems. Uh, so if you're looking for injectors for your common rail, accessories, lines, anything that you need to put those injectors in, or CP3, CP4 pumps, that's who we use in our trucks. That's who we trust. WC Fab, uh, we've been working with WC Fab since their inception. Jason Worley and his brothers and all of the crew over there are absolutely phenomenal group to work with. Uh, we get absolutely high-quality parts every single time and they fit the way they're supposed to they look the way they're supposed to they perform the way they're supposed to of course xdp your one-stop shop for diesel performance uh, we shop at xdp we buy xdp branded products xdp sells our products we love working with those guys and of course alex you and i we work full-time over at calibrated power home of duramax tuner what's your favorite thing to tell customers about duramax tuner my favorite thing's probably got to be our turbos <sighs> Especially uh, Stealth 67 G2s, the way the, those things sound, it's just incredible. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Hey, big sale going on right now over at Calibrated Power, DuramaxTuner.com. Uh, you should go over and check it out. We got some turbos with $500 off, other turbos with 10% off. Got a whole bunch of the switch on the fly tuning at 15% off, $250 off six speed conversion kits, and up to $500 off on DT550, DT750 transmission. So, a lot of stuff going on. Definitely go check it out. Don't miss your chance to save for the 4th of July. Uh, but hey, at, at any rate, all that stuff's good and fine. But the reason we're here today is to talk to Robert. Robert, how the hell are you? I'm doing great, Paul. How are y'all doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for asking. We're having fun, that's for sure. <laughs> Robert, tell uh, tell our listeners, how did you get your start in diesel performance? Oh, just like any good diesel enthusiast, uh, I was working at a dealership, and the diesel tech over there had a 7.3 power stroke. He ended up trading out the 7.3 for a 6-liter. And, you know, riding around in a 7.3, those things are just boatloads of torque and not a whole bunch of power. And once we got into a 6-liter, you know, it made a bunch more horsepower than what the uh, 7.3 did. But once we put a tune on it, some other stuff, that thing was just absolutely ignorant compared to some of the sports cars that we had been building and some of the small blocks that I had at the time. And once I got into that and had the tune in it, that thing, you know, you get into it and you're just like, man, I need this. So... <laughs> And, of course, it was one of those things of where everybody talks about the head studs. And, you know, we had the – when he ordered his tune, he clicked the ones for having head studs and built trans and everything else like any good diesel enthusiast should do. And uh, <laughs> surprisingly – Go ahead. Lie about broke. your build to your tuner. What great advice we're kicking off the top of the show with here. Okay. Go no, ahead. No, don't, don't do that. <laughs> so so 6-liter really got you hooked. A 7.3, old, trusty, reliable, like you said. I mean – Great thing to fire it up and do some work, but eh, not the most exciting ride I've ever been in. But that six liter, that's what hooked you, huh? Yeah, the seven three, like you could hook the trailer up to the back of it, and you wouldn't notice that it was there. But I remember uh, we were going through uh, our little town that we had, and there was a Camaro that pulled up next to us, and he put it in four wheel drive and left on about twenty pounds, and it just was walking the Camaro. And at that point, you got a three quarter ton truck going faster than the Camaro. It was just amazing. <laughs> It always feels good when you can get out there and showboat a little bit with a truck. I, I do wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, you know, showing up a Camaro or a Mustang at the lines always something to 
put a feather in your cap over. Uh, where'd you go from there? So you had a six liter, you had a tuner. What what came next? Well, so it wasn't my six liter. That was like I said, the the diesel tech of where I was working. It was oh, yeah. probably about oh uh, three years later. You know, I kind of been looking for a diesel on and off, but nothing nothing serious. But about three years later, after that, uh, I found a two thousand and one or a two thousand and two LV seven Duramax. And I'm a big GM guy, so I wanted to stay away from the Fords and the Cummins and be able to go to something that I knew I would enjoy. So was set on a Duramax and finally had the opportunity to get one. And, uh, you know, it was not the nicest of trucks. I think I paid $3,500 for it, so you know it's going to have all kinds of problems. And I remember driving it home from the day I bought it, and uh, it kicked it into limp mode because the CP3 was failing. Yeah. Low rail pressure. uh, Finally got it back to the house. You know, at the time, I didn't know anything about diesels other than I wanted to have that that diesel truck that was kind of fast and um, started looking into it. Saw what is it? The P0069 or whichever one the low fuel pressure is and ordered an air dog and a CP3 and put it in in the driveway. And after that, it was a tuner and some other stuff. And it was it was a fantastic truck. Um, you know, classic diesel guy, you want to be able to do everything yourself just because having that knowledge, or at least for me, I know a lot of people are enjoy the ability to just be able to buy a product and put it on, which that's perfectly fine. Um, I enjoy having the knowledge of understanding how the products work and how everything drives together. So I bought just like a little box tuner at the time and I wanted to be able to get something better than that. So, uh, in the process of learning, I ended up buying a EFI live V2 and just kind of started playing around with the tables and accepted the fact that if it blew up, it was just part of learning. And I ran that for, oh, I don't know, like two or three years, and then finally ended up getting rid of the truck, and then I was left without a diesel for a pretty long time. And then, uh, you know, you want to be able to experience everything else. Otherwise, the Ford guys will tell you, you know, you don't know what you're missing, the Cummins guys will tell you what you're what you're missing. <laughs> so I ended up getting a... Uh, OBS 7.3, so it had the, the motor with the forged rods in it that theoretically could make some power, and it was definitely a learning experience. It was a lot harder to make power with a 7.3 than it was a Duramax, but yeah. I remember we did a set of injectors and turbos and valve springs and some other stuff, and it was basically the same thing as the tuned Duramax at the end of the day, so uh, got out of that and then went back to an LLY, and that was just a, a tuner. Uh, blew some head gaskets on it so pulled heads off put some studs in it head gaskets and then uh about two weeks after doing that good old five-speed allison spun the transmission on that so pulled that out did a a down and dirty rebuild on that with just some stock clutches stock converter and a couple of uh shims in the pump to be able to make a little bit more line pressure and then later on we put some 30 over injectors into it and kept on going you know yeah, man, that that's a hell of a journey. That's a back and forth there. Alex, what do you think of those LLYs? Um, they're some of my favorite trucks, actually, for the older Duramaxes. Um, personally, uh, driving a couple of the LB7s that we get into the shop, even tuned, they're a little bit of a dog. Uh, those LLYs, they really kind of stepped up to that next generation, and the technology from you know, 15, 20 years ago to now, it's night and day. I've always ragged on the LLYs as being like the most unreliable Duramax, the redheaded stepchild, you will, out of the Duramax line. Still about a light year ahead of any Ford uh, 
any older Ford anyways. I, I don't have too much bad to say about those newer 6.7s. Uh, but those LLYs, it does seem like once you get the 2.7 injector harness fixed, once you have the intake air horn fixed, once you have burnt up your five-speed, like you said, Robert, <laughs> and gone through and done some of the basic upgrades, they really, I mean, it's the biggest frame housing for any turbocharger out of the Duramax lineup. Uh they got a great fuel system. It's a standard common rail Bosch fuel system. Uh, they're they're a really good platform to build on. Now, Robert, you said uh, you went to sixty over injectors. You run in stock CP three, or did you bump up to a ten mil? Actually, it was a. They were just a set of thirty over injectors. Oh, I'm sorry, thirty. Staying on a, a stock. I might have said sixties. I, I don't. But I know we put a thirty percent over injectors in that, and that was the first time I'd ever really done injectors in Duramax. And we just stayed on a stock ten mil or a, a stock. Or LOI pump, and then I think we did like the uh, industrial injections bag of parts, so it flows a little bit more. But like you're not getting a, an increase in volume like with the 10 mil. Okay, yeah, that used to be a real popular part. I don't hear too much about the the old bag of parts, and it was it was it used to be marketed as as the bag of parts. Uh, so you could go through and upgrade, like you said, basically the flow. Uh, you weren't going to get more volume out of it. It wasn't a full rebuild. Nothing, nothing was like actually honed out. But what it's like. Can you explain what came in your bag of parts kit? Oh man, that was forever ago. I think it had a uh, a regulator that had a little bit more of like a, a port for whenever the regulator would start opening, it would allow more fuel flow through it. It had a different uh, outlet for the hard line, the high pressure line, so that that would flow a little bit more. And I think there was something else in it. I I really don't remember. That was one of those things that it was a one and done kind of deal. Yeah, it was. It, it was quick. It was affordable. They were real popular. Nowadays, I'm hearing more about guys just jumping into the 10 mils, and that's just, I think, the difference of a lot of people have an experience with those. So, uh, okay, so you put 30 overs in it. You had a bag of parts for the CP3, a down and dirty rebuild on the trans. I like that description. It sounds like you maybe you didn't plan on keeping this truck for the rest of your life. No, that truck was definitely... Uh, don't get me wrong, it was a clean body truck and everything, and I loved it, but it was one of those things where you always want to be able to go and experience something else. So uh, a set of stock clutches out of a, another transmission that I had, you know, they were good clutches. They weren't burnt or anything, but they were definitely not new clutches. And then, uh, like I said, bumping that line pressure up a little bit more to have a little bit more clamping force on the transmission. That's it. Now, did you do anything with that truck? Do you race it? Do you tow it? Do you, how'd you use the truck? So that truck was just kind of uh, a learning platform. Uh, a lot of my background at that point had been with the LV7s, which is a non-VGT turbo application. So it was getting back into the tuning and learning how to tune something like that. So it's still throttle-based tuning, but it's it's got that variable geometry turbo. So just a different different learning experience, essentially. And another um, thing, too, you know, you're talking about that learning experience from, like, LBZs to LLYs. What is one of the biggest differences you saw working on those two trucks? Well, so I don't do anything really past the LOI, but uh, the difference between going from a LV7 to an LOI, um, as far as the tuning goes, is you have that variable geometry turbo. So, And you also have a, an EGR flow. You're able to use that kind of as a blow-off valve, essentially be able to keep boost in check. But it's got a couple different features that you're able to use to your advantage. It makes torque down low, it spools up really quick, and it drives extremely well compared to what a stock uh, geometry or a fixed geometry turbo would be. There, there is a lot of truth to that. Even with that larger frame housing uh, and that big exhaust housing on there, 
they do definitely spool up quick. The LLY was pretty famous for feeling responsive. Like I said, if you fix some of the basics, the intake and whatnot. Uh, now, uh, my understanding is is you're still playing around with, with these style trucks. I noticed you had said you haven't done anything past the LLY. What are some of the cool project trucks that you've worked on? Oh, so we can get into, well, once I got rid of that LOY, I had a Cummins for a minute. We're just, we're not going to talk about that. But <laughs> after that. Some, some guys had an emo phase. You had a Cummins phase. I got it. I got it. It's okay. Oh, dude. You know, had the big, ba- uh, big C in the back glass and everything. I was one of those guys. <laughs> but once we got rid of that, um, I didn't have a, a diesel at that point in time. So I wanted to start looking to get another Duramax and, I knew that I had the background with the LV7s and the LLYs, and I started looking for a Duramax, and I found a, I think it was a 2003 2500, it was a single cab, and uh, had a flatbed on the back of it, and I was going to just take the flatbed off, put a, a normal bed on it, and kind of make it into a, a, just a hot street truck, and at that same point in time, I think I got that truck, and then the following weekend, I got a phone call from our local scrapyard saying, hey, we have got five or six uh, 67 to 72 uh, Chevrolet C10s, and they're fixing to go in the crusher. And if you want to come and get them, we know that you'll do something with them, but yeah, they've got to go today. You know, They've been sitting on the yard. Just give us the weight and scrap, and you can have as many of them as you like. And, of course, at that point in time, I was working, so I got off of work, hooked the trailer up to the truck, and went down there. I was only able to save one that day. But... Uh, Got the one that I saved, and it was sitting next to that um, single cab truck that I was looking to build. And I don't know if y'all remember, but a while back, Fernando Blair, sorry if I butchered that last name, had built a one of those 67 to 72 C10s on top of a Duramax chassis. And I remember coming back from working one day, and I seen the two trucks just sitting there on the back of my, my uh, yard. And I was like, you know what would be a great idea is to put the two of those together. <laughs> and so many endless projects have started with those words oh the the well the other thing too is at that time i think i had about 10 or 12 different projects that i was working on so i had <laughs> so all kinds front, of other miscellaneous stuff yeah what? so your front yard kind of looked like a, your own little you know auto store at that point in time between the garage the 12 projects out in the front you know you got people stopping on lunch breaks asking you know how much is it i want that one well that was the nice part about where i was at at that point in time is we had a a five acre field out in the front and uh, we had one of those county roads that went past it but we had five acres sitting out in the front and then all the different projects and stuff that i had i had in the back of the field where there was a tree line and nobody could see it oh yeah that's awesome I, so, I love that you uh, needed five acres to store all of your unfinished projects. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Well, I mean, you know, you talk to all these guys, and they don't have enough land, but they've got enough project. I want to make sure I didn't have enough <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, no, so you got into the swap idea. Now, now there's two ways to go about a swap on one of these. You can put your Duramax engine and Allison Trans basically driveline into the older truck frame but you run into a lot of like conversion issues you got to talk about brakes and throttle and steering and yada 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 or you can basically swap the body of the older truck onto the frame of the Duramax which way did you go um so I had a little bit of background we had done a 12 valve Cummins into a square body Chevy and it was one of the p-pumps and we did uh power-driven diesels 
some some stuff that they had to offer for it. And we weren't making a whole bunch of power, but I remember very clearly it would pick up, I think, either the left or the right side frame rail whenever you got after it because of how weak that frame was. And after seeing something like that, you know, I had a full donor truck, and I was like, well, I'm just going to set the body on top of it. That way you're able to keep the chassis, you're able to keep all the, the hard components that were offered in 03. And then uh, flashing back to what uh, Fernando had done, is he had cut the firewall and floor out of his his donor so that he could keep the factory O3 dash and everything, and just set the cab on top of that, cutting out the uh, the firewall and floor of the '67. So I figured I'd do the exact same thing. It can't be that hard, right? You're just cutting some stuff. It's simple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How hard is it to cut boy, things? Boy, was I wrong about that. Um, <laughs> oh, dude, that is that is a mistake that I have made once, and I will never do again. <laughs> Great concept, horrible execution. What but, what made that challenging? Well, so the two thousand or the O three dash was about six inches wider than what the sixty seven dash was. So when I cut the firewall out of the the sixty seven and I tried to slide this thing on top of it, I had to start trying to figure out ways to be able to, you know, shave six inches off of the the dash. So it's not the prettiest thing in the world because I was able to take an inch off the ends of it and then I was able to bow the center of the dash up to get another two inches out of it. And then I ended up widening the bottom of the cab by two inches to be able to get everything to kind of fit together and go on top of the O3 firewall and floor. Oh, my God. So you have, it, oh, you have fab work experience then? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> No, the whole the whole point for me behind this truck was it wasn't something I was going to daily drive, and it was a just like a, a learning experience, a proof of concept. Because I had been building engines and building transmissions and doing miscellaneous stuff here and there. I finally got myself the cheapest Harbor Freight welder that I possibly could, and was getting into that. And it's one of those things where you sit there and you look at it, and you're like, huh, I wonder if I can do that. And the worst case is it just is another scrap project that sits in your backyard. Yeah, an expensive, hurtful, painful scrap project because it's something you really wanted. But yeah, sure. No, we can downplay it like it's not even well, cool. Well, you mean, so the way that this all started was the donor truck, the O3 Duramax that I purchased was for $1,500, I think. Um, and the, the body, I think I ended up paying like maybe $320 for the whole truck. So by the time I'd sold the service bed off the back of it and I had... Uh, or not the service bed, the flatbed, and gotten scrapped the, the O3 body and sold some of the other miscellaneous parts, like the front clip off the truck and everything, I was in it for maybe $200. Oh. So on top of that, too, I mean, how many hours did it take you to get all of this together? That is where people start crying, especially myself. Um, <laughs> The to take the cab off of the O3 chassis wasn't that big of a deal. I think I took I took two days to be able to pull the flatbed off of it, pull the cab off of it, and kind of part everything out. Um, and then it was another two days to do the same thing to the '67 that I had. The hard part was once I decided to use the O3 firewall and floor, and that took me three months. And there was probably a minimum of 25 to 30 hours every single week for those three months of just trying to get. Oh everything trimmed and shaped and that was just to get the cab to sit on top of the o3 firewall and floor it was another three months 
like I said, after that, to be able to get the dash to fit back into this thing. So I was six months into just making a cab. Oh, my wow. God. Now, so, did this thing see the road? Did, did uh, the project is completed? You got to get it out and drive it and beat the fuck out of it? Well, the pro- so here's what ended up happening was as I was doing this, um, y'all might have known him or seen some of his YouTube stuff, but Cletus McFarland had just purchased uh, the Freedom Factory. So in my head, I was thinking, well, if he can restore an old truck or an old track, I can restore an old truck and be able to have it there for the first event that he has. And so I think there was like a three month deadline between when I had that concept of getting it to the first event that he was going to do and getting the truck done. And sure enough, by the time that had rolled around, um, I was still working on getting the cab done. So I missed the first event that like the first the soft opening that they did at the Freedom Factory, which I was kind of bummed about that. But I told myself, well, you know, it's not the first quote-unquote event. It was a soft opening. We'll make Cletus in cars, which gave me about the other uh, four or five months to be able to get the truck done. Now, I got done doing the cab of the truck, and, of course, you're sitting there with a chassis. Well, when you're sitting there with a chassis, it's really easy to be able to get to all the parts on the the truck. So went ahead, pulled the motor out, pulled the transmission out, um, did some valve body and pump mods in the transmission. I think, I don't remember if I changed the clutches to stock clutches or if I just inspected them and made sure that they were good clutches, but stock clutches, stock shafts, a little bit of pump work, a little bit of valve body work, put the transmission back together, put that to the side, uh, pulled the Duramax all the way down to a block, new set of bearings, new set of rings, made sure the pistons were good. Crank was good. All that miscellaneous stuff, uh, put it back together with, I don't remember what head gaskets I used at that point in time. But I know I did a set of head studs and stock injectors, stock pump, um, really basic bare bones, just get you a bulletproof setup that you can beat on. And got that all back together, finally got it into the truck, got the thing running, and I remember the first time I fired it up, it was missing on one of the cylinders, and I had a dead injector. And I think at this point in time, we had about a week and a half until I needed to leave for Cletus and cars. <laughs> so for something like that, you know... Um... Was that a learning lesson for you with having that stuck injector at that point, or was that just a simple thing that was kind of overlooked because, you know, you spent five, six months just building a cab for this thing? Well, it was one of those things where if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I knew that the the truck had run and drove before I took it all apart. So in my head, I had put the, you know, the as soon as I undid the injector lines and got the valve covers off the LV7, I put uh, the injector caps on top of the injectors to make sure nothing could get into them. But I guess in the time frame of where it was sitting apart with the motor, you know, debris or something got into that injection system. And as you know, these injection systems are, are really tight tolerance. And at that point, it just caused one of the injectors to, I don't remember if it's stuck closed or if it's stuck open, but it was definitely missing on the cylinder. Oh, that's the worst. And so I did the most responsible thing any diesel owner has ever done, and I found threw money and time at it. that I could find. No, no. <laughs> Lots of time, not a whole lot of money. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. What'd you do? We, uh, I found the cheapest injector that I could get online. I think I overnighted that single injector and pulled the valve covers apart and put it in there. And it's one of those things of where. Anybody that, that has got any time working on an LB7 knows, do not cheap out on injectors. They are a pain in the butt to get to. It's very time-consuming and everything else. But at the time, I'd already spent all this money on getting the gaskets, the headstones, and everything else to get this motor together. So 
I was just looking to be able to get this thing running and driving at this oh, point. Oh no! <laughs> so so yeah. So, so listeners, you never do one injector. Uh, no, they, don't they ever come, do that. They come as a set. They go through the same fuel as a set. Yes, one of them may fail before the rest, but that means that the rest are about to fail. Not that that one was unlucky. That that injectors can't be lucky. Um, so yeah. So. But but I love it. We know a lot of people who have been there. I think all of us have been there when we're looking at a project, especially a badass one where we're like, put this this love and this passion into it, and we have this idea of what it's going to be like when we're done, and we have this goal set of where we're going to go and kind of flex and show it off, and then I, I get it. I, I don't condone it, but I get it. Uh, shit happens. So So what happened? So you got the one injector, you threw it in, and then the truck fired up, and there was no problems. Magical story, oh. happy ever after. Dude, the truck fired up, and I didn't even have the hood pins or anything else done, so I had taken some ratchet straps and just ratchet strapped the hood on top of the fenders. <laughs> and I think we took it to one of our local Cars and Tacos thing, or it was Cars and Coffee. I don't remember what event it was at that point in time. But we drove it over there, and the truck ran and drove perfect. I mean, that thing was smooth. Everything shifted out nice, and it was just one of those things of trying to get some miles on it before we took it to an event and beat on it. Um. And that is a good disclaimer at this point in time. Anything that I do, I would not recommend for a customer or anybody else because <laughs> I've got the time. I'm willing to pull the motor back apart. Somebody else, I would not recommend, you know, going through and just putting one injector in because you're going to have all that labor cost to be able to put that one in. You do the full set. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So, but, no, we took it to Cars and Coffee or Cars and Tacos. I don't remember which one. And everybody loved this thing because it was just this old, rusted-out pickup truck that, you know, because I was too lazy or lazy to shorten the frame, I had in intentions of being able to tow with this truck later, be able to use it around the farm. Um, I wasn't comfortable cutting the frame and trying to weld it back together with a 120-volt Harbor Freight welder. Probably a good <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> So we had just slid the bed four inches forward or two inches forward, which left us with a, a six inch bed gap between the back of the cab and the back of the, or in the front of the bed. And I figured maybe later on we'd shorten the frame or get a longhorn bed or something else. But you know, we got the truck running and driving and that's what we were chasing. And dude, everybody was just like, what, what in the world is this? Because the first concept that you have whenever you see a diesel swap is a good old Cummins. Everybody loves to do a P pump or a VE pump Cummins. They're sure. simple and six wires. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, if you can work on a small block Chevy, you can do a 12 valve. Right. So it was just the concept of having something different. Like I said, I loved, loved all the Chevy products and being able to do a Duramax. I figured it was something, something different. You didn't see a whole lot of. Um, now, what state are you in? I am in Alabama. Okay, okay, this tracks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, six inch bed gap. Yeah, 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 yeah. You went to the car show. The hood was ratchet strapped down. The bed was six inches. Had six inch gap between the bed and the cab. Uh, and everybody was like, "This is the coolest thing I've ever seen." Which, by the way, it fucking is. Uh, like these, these are awesome builds, Alex. I don't know how much time have you got to be around some of the swaps out there. Not a whole lot. Uh, one of my favorite though is that H one. That thing is just oh yeah 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 nasty okay. looking. But in regards to swaps, that's so far out of. We my have a ridiculous here. over the top Hummer swap with an LBZ in it here at the shop that the boss owns. We we got a, a fifty nine Apache that like went through the body shop and every every panel on the on the vehicle is custom 
custom tailored to it. Those those swaps I love, but those swaps are are when somebody has time and money. Uh, this swap you're talking about, this is the shit I would do. Uh, where I'm like, it practically drives. Like, like in reality, it will drive down the road, and I'm not committing suicide. Close, but not there. Uh, and, you're and close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it have a six-inch gap? Yeah, sure. Does Do the welds look like somebody was stacking Play-Doh instead of stacking dimes? Yeah, probably. All right? That's what you get out of a, a Harbor Freight welder in your first welding job. But, but you fucking did it. And that's the part that I love is that it wasn't bought. It was something that you got to say, hey, I'm going to learn on something. I'm going to learn on something fucking cool. Well, I think that was the other thing about it, too, was, you know, you see a lot of these really clean swaps. And don't get me wrong, those are absolutely gorgeous and we admire them. But the problem is, or at least for me, whenever you see those swaps that have been done up, you know, they've spent the time to shorten the frame. They've got the body sitting down low. They've got it sitting basically how the factory has it. The only thing you'll be able to notice about that truck is maybe it'll roll a little bit of smoke to it, and maybe it'll sound a little bit different when you start it, depending on what exhaust is on it and everything else. But there's not a whole lot to give it away that, you know, you've done all this time to be able to put a body on top of a different chassis. Having that on there, the first thing that you see is that bed gap, and you're like, all right, something something here is wrong, and it makes you curious. Something and then the here is wrong in it, the brightest way. I love it. How polite. Yes. <laughs> but no it was it all was right so what was where, do you still have this truck is this something that that you still rip around on did it make it to cletus and cars so me and my infinite wisdom because if you didn't get the idea from putting just one cheap injector in it we didn't have a truck and trailer to put it on to drive to take it to cletus and cars which is about 550 miles away so we did the responsible thing and got in it and drove the 550 miles all the way down to the Cletus and Cars. Get the two fuck out burnout. of here. A two, wait, you drove 550 miles there and then you got into a burnout competition? That's correct. Oh, my God. All right, so what so, happened? Well, as you can imagine, we put about maybe 20 miles on this thing on town before we decided to take it on a road trip and... Got onto the road, made it about 360 miles into it, and I had overfilled the transmission and had been moving. Transmission fluid out of the vent, so we stopped to look at that. Um, once we verified that it was just pushing transmission fluid out of the vent, kept going, made it all the way down to the event. And you, I don't know if you've been around a whole bunch of burnout competitions because that's just that's not something that we do a lot of in the states. You know, a lot of diesel guys are interested in sled pulling, drag racing, dyno events. Nobody's like, you know, I'm going to go and hold my truck on the limiter for two minutes. Yeah, well, it's a stupid oh. competition because it's basically figure skating with your truck. It's a, you can't win, a, like you can't mathematically win a burnout competition. People have to judge it on stupid shit like style and smoke output. So yeah, yeah, no, you can tell I'm a big fan. Oh, you know, don't worry, everybody else is. <laughs> but it was one of those things of where I remember we had done a burnout leaving Cletus or not Cletus and cars leaving that cars and tacos event. I mean, the thing clicked third gear and was just rolling out. And I was like, Oh, this is going to absolutely destroy everybody at Cletus and cars. You know, you got that big head on you. And we got down there. I started looking at some of the other competition. You've got, you know, big blocks with blowers on methanol and some other miscellaneous stuff. I was like, maybe we don't have this. <laughs> I might have slightly underestimated the competition while I was at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, stick welding my my swap together. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. But got there, swapped the tires out, uh, went through, got out onto the pad, and didn't even pop a set of tires. I mean, it made smoke, and it did a good two-minute-long burnout, and it drove off the pad. The engine coolant temperature, I did not know anything about making a motor live at this kind of abuse. But the engine coolant temperature on the CTS at that point in time, I think read a hundred or two hundred and eighty seven degrees and it had already puked all the coolant out of it. So in my head, I was thinking that it had uh popped a set of head gaskets and I was like, ah, you know, we'll put some block sealer in it and try to drive it home. <laughs> ding ding ding, she's cooked. She's done. <laughs> but got it off of the pad, drove off the pad still, let the thing cool down and we went back and looked at it. You know how when uh the you overheat the turbo housings or any exhaust component the the metal turns from that just the standard oxidized color to more of an ashy color yeah that's how everything on the exhaust side looked the manifolds the up pipes the turbo (laughs) everything was just hot (laughs) so what happened after that because it doesn't sound like hold up what what place did you get did did you place in the oh, burnout I mean, competition? Is there Let me be let me be extremely clear. I went there and I realized I knew absolutely nothing and about five seconds into my run I had no skill to be there. <laughs> I don't even think we made it to the top seventy five. Like we were second to last <laughs> at best. Alex, I'm sorry, you were asking a question there. Well, you know, like he's saying didn't know anything about burnout competitions your engine is completely cooked you know where is this truck now did you guys just leave it at cletus's is like a little memorial for everybody to see when they come in or you're 200 bucks into it fuck it just goodbye um well we ended up once we get it drove off the pad so we drove it back to the pits and i you know at that point in time i don't remember if we had a hood on it or not but I took one look at that and go, yep, that's a problem for later, and went back and watched the rest of the show and let the <laughs> thing cool down. Um, later, we went back to the pits once everything was done at Cletus and Cars, and I filled the coolant back full of uh, just water at that point in time to see if it was going to milkshake in the oil or what it was going to do, and the truck was perfectly fine, so we did the most logical thing after beating on it. We drove back to the hotel, and we went home the next day. I don't believe you for one second that you drove 500 miles back after doing this. You can ask everybody at Cletus and Cars. There are so many witnesses because everybody assumed that we put this thing onto a trailer and whatnot. And I was like, nope, we drove it. Are there any videos of this online, like, say, YouTube, for example? I don't know how much of it's on YouTube, but I do know if you go on some of the Instagram, uh, builtcmax.creations. If you scroll all the way back to the very beginning of when I was building this thing, I've got photos when we're, you know, trying to graph the cab on top of it, going to Cletus and Cars, doing our burnout, and then driving it back. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Like the UCC, the DPC guy. All right. All right. So you you beat the ever-living fuck out of this. Do you still drive the truck today? Is it still around? Okay. Um. So I still have it. Where we're sitting at right now is um, obviously the Cletus and Cars realized I knew absolutely nothing about burnout competitions. And at that point in time, the only other guy that was running like uh, a diesel competitively in burnout competitions was uh, Justin from JH Diesel. He had a six liter at the time. And I figured I was like, you know what? 
there's other people that are out there that are going to be faster than me at the drag race. There's going to be people who are going to have, you know, better dyno numbers and people that can sled pull farther than me. Nobody's doing burnout competitions, and I think I'm in this early enough that I can learn something about it. So we started going to, as after that first Cletus and Cars, any burnout competition that I could see or people would tag me in, I would go to. And we went to like six or seven different burnout competitions until um, we were driving back from one in somewhere in Ohio. I don't remember what it was, but the water pump, I had changed out a water pump uh, like a week before this and the CTS three had failed the O three instrument cluster, the coolant temperature gauge had failed. And we had been beating on this thing for a year and a half. I think at this point in time driving, like we never put this thing onto a trailer. We never, it was strictly get in go to an event, pop a set of tires, get back in the truck, go home. How many miles it, do you think you did that for over a year and a half? Cause this is all across the United States, right? Correct. Well, it's mostly on the East Coast. I didn't really go that far to the West Coast. I think the farthest I went West was to Cletus and Cars, Houston in Texas. But I know that we had gone to Cletus and Cars, Bradenton in South, or, uh, Central Florida. I had gone to uh, Streetcar Takeover, Street Truck Takeover Atlanta. We had then done the Cle- or, uh, Freedom Factory Burnout Night, which was basically just a, a testing tune for burnouts and, you know, like I said, I didn't know anything at that point in time, so to be able to go and do a burnout on an actual pad was just more data at that point to be able to collect information. And then uh, the following night after doing that, that was actually a really good trip. So we had left out of Birmingham, got in the truck, drove all the way down to Bradenton, Florida. That night, I think it was a Friday night, we did two or three, we went through two or three sets of tires, went back to the hotel, slept for two hours, got back into the truck at like two in the morning, Drove all the way up to Atlanta to be able to compete at the burnout competition streetcar takeover. And I literally had one set of tires left sitting in the bed. We went there, did that burnout competition, won that, and then drove the truck all the way home uh, that Saturday. And that was like 1,300, 1,400 miles in a course of 36 hours. And we went through six tires. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. You know, this thing was just, there was a lot of confidence in it, being able to get into it, be able to drive it anywhere you wanted to, and just destroy a set of tires and then, you know, go home. Just another day. Um, But no, there there came a point in time where we were up in Ohio, and like I said, the CTS had failed, and I had been messing with the instrument cluster to change some stuff out, but there was a burnout competition, so we had to go. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, my instrument cluster isn't working, we're not going to go. Right. Um. Went up there, was coming back from Ohio. Burnout competition went smooth. Uh, driving back, the water pump on the truck ended up spinning on the shaft from the gear side. And once it spun it, you know, I didn't have a coolant temperature gauge of any kind. And I just kept running it until the thing just started knocking going down the road. And at that point, it had uh, smoked some of the pistons inside of that motor. Yeah. So. It was, that was definitely an event. And that's what ended up killing the first motor. Um, we had made it 40,000 miles on that first motor. And we had started with just a, the standard I-High turbo in the Valley, the stock one. And then we had moved to that turbo with a Nitrous Express. And I think it was their like 200 setup. And we had pulled the jet out of it. And we would just spray the whole 10-pound bottle throughout <laughs> the run. 
That is wild. So, like you said, 40,000 on the first engine. How many engines have you gone through now, and what is this build looking like? All right, so currently, uh, after we let that motor go, I have been cheap with this whole build, and we were throwing stock uh, short blocks in it. So factory crank, factory rods, I wouldn't open them up or do anything at this point in time. It was literally just bolt the heads to it and send it. Um, We have been through, I think we cooked the motor in Bristol, which was maybe 200, 250 miles after I had nuked the first motor. And... After that, we did another motor, and we did the responsible thing. I got a set of 150 over injectors, and because we're trying to sustain high RPM, we put the 150 overs in. We did the worst mistake I think I have ever done and purchased a dual fueler kit because I thought it would look cool instead of doing a 14 mil. (laughs) (laughs) No, why wouldn't you want two pumps that could potentially go wrong and fail instead of one pump? Right, right, right. Oh, dude, it was... That it was a learning experience because the whole truck at this point in time had been based around you know it had compound turbos on it, it had triple turbos on it, and it was just one of those things. My goal was to go back to a triple turbo setup with the dual fueler. So like, you know, you look at the bed gap and you go, "Huh, that's not right," and then you look at the hood and you're like, "Okay, something's wrong here." <laughs> oh man! But. No, we had put the 150 overs in it, and I think after the next two events, we'd smoke that motor, put another standard uh, a stock short block back into it, and um, we had recently gone to Cletus and Cars Indy. So at this point in time, I finally managed to get rid of the dual fueler kit, and we moved to a extra 14 mil pump, which is matched perfectly with those um, 150 overs. Moved off of the stock iHigh turbo and went to a GT45 in the Valley and went to Cletus Cars uh, Indy. And that was a whole disaster in and of itself. But the, the short edition is we got everything done, everything swapped over. We got out onto the burnout pad. Uh, the truck would not click into – normally I run the truck in fifth gear with the converter locked to try to keep as much of the heat down as I can. And the truck, whenever you would try to click it into fourth, would uh, – snuff the turbo and it would come back down and it would only hold third so i locked it in third and we turned the stock bottom end on stock valve springs and everything else at 47 or 4800 rpm um it had you know we made it about a minute into the run and it started having some weird vibrations either in the engine (laughs) or the transmission i'd believe it smart person a smart person would be like, you know, maybe I should stop now. But we had already had all this time and effort into just being able to get out onto the pad. So I was like, we're going to go through a set of tires or blow a motor or something. Something's going to stop. It's not going to be me. <laughs> well, that vibration started getting a little bit worse and worse as time went on. And by the, the two-minute mark, it just decided to – it was going great. And then it just, in a split second, like it lost cam position or crank position sensor, uh, shot a huge flame out the exhaust and shut off right there. Um, that that is something that we do not recommend do not take your your duramax and turn it to 4700 rpms don't do it guys um but we got that truck back from cletus and cars indy and then it had been sitting out at the farm and i think about a week ago two weeks ago i finally went out there pulled the motor out and tore it down, found out that the, so on the LV7 LLYs, the oil pump nut is standard thread. On the LVZ newer, it's left-hand thread. 
Well, my theory is because we were kind of turning a little bit more RPM than was probably recommended from the factory, it loosened that nut up, and we lost the oil pump somewhere throughout that run. Oh, goodness. So the whole bottom end of that motor was just absolutely trash. And at that point, um, I've been throwing stock short blocks back into these, this thing. They're LLY, LB7 short blocks, and then just putting those injectors and stuff on top of it. It's, it's just not going to live. And we got to the point where it wasn't fun to be able to go out and daily drive this thing like it was before. So at this point in time, uh, we ended up getting uh, Matt Russell has got me a set of Carrillo rods to be able to put into this thing. I'm going to take one of my good LB7 cranks. And some of the LV7 pistons, we're going to go to BTW Racing, get those D-lifts. And I've got a good block to build. I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to use the LB7 or an L- or LBZ block. It's kind of a learning process right now is most of the stuff that I try to stick around is the LB7 LLY stuff. But, you know, we're, we're looking at that LBZ block to see if it maybe that has a little bit more rigidity in the bottom end for what we're trying to do. Or if the reality is we're just going to scatter another motor because nobody else is doing burnout competitions. Yeah, yeah, because it's uh... – God, I have so much to say, but none of it's going to be helpful. Um, one, LBZ, swapping an LBZ into an LB7 setup – I know that there's a handful of like reluctor wheels and other little things that are going to be a pain in your ass, but it doesn't sound like any of them are going to be enough to stop you. Uh, I've never heard any theories that, I mean, you definitely are getting a little bit stronger, like rods, um, pistons, eh, debatable. Uh, I've, I've heard guys debated on both sides, uh, but you're already getting Carrillo rods. So like, really, like it doesn't really matter which block you're going to put them in um lml crank it's some questions there uh you, you, you know as you start to get into the newer stuff your problems change they don't go away oh, it, exactly. it's, it's, it's different problems so the general consensus i think in like the the you know i have a budget community would be like well you know get a hold of Waggler, get a hold of SoCal, you, you know, like get a hold of the guys who are the big Duramax builders out there and have them build you something. And, that, and then you're, you're starting with a really, really solid foundation. But my experience talking about, you know, a short block, a built short block, you know, budgets ah, around, I don't know, 20K, usually a pretty good place to start to talk. Um you know, shipping's expensive, metal's expensive, machine time is expensive, many machined parts are expensive. Like, everything you do is expensive. Um, so getting into it, it's, like, really the question of, like, especially with how much nitrous you're running and big turbo kit, it's, like, and sitting still, so you're just eating all that heat right back into the system. It's just, it's a loop of hating yourself. <laughs> it's, it's just a loop of the truck just hating itself. But But if that's what you're doing, that's what you're doing. Right. So, well, I mean, here's the problem that I've run into is, you know, you go to an engine builder and you go, all right, you know, you are the best at building whatever engine it is right now. I don't care if it's LS, Cummins, Power Stroke, Duramax, whatever motor you're the best at building. Whenever you ask somebody, hey, I need a built motor that I'm going to hold on a limiter for two minutes straight with no airflow across the radiator or anything else, how do you feel about that? Everybody just looks at you like you're crazy. Well, because it is crazy. It is crazy. Well, they're they're you looking know. at you appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Listen, cars cars aren't made for it, which is why I love to see people out there doing it. The the impractical is my favorite part about automotive performance, right? None of this makes sense. None of this is logical. And for somebody to take it to such an extreme, that's what really, that, that puts a smile on my face. I love that. Well, I think the other thing, too, is it gave me the ability to be able to do something that nobody else is doing. Like I said, you've got guys that are going to run the dyno competitions, that are going to run the drag racing, and going to run sled pulls. You know, I'm able to go out and blow up a stock bottom end LB7 at the burnout competition, and, well, I'm the only one that wants to throw money away at something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love it. Well, Robert, it has been such a blast talking with you. I think... I think that that we definitely have a lot more to see from you, and I can't wait for you to be back out at it and uh, maybe getting us some videos over so we can share them on the Diesel Performance Podcast Facebook group uh, page. We'd love to see that. I know I'm going to be spending my night YouTubing this and uh, Instagramming this and kind of going through and checking it all out. If people want to follow along and they want to learn more about you and the projects that you have coming up, what's a good place for them to find you? Um, the, probably the best place to find me is going to be on Instagram, uh, the built C-Max dot or yeah, the built C-Max dot creations or on TikTok, which is going to be the same thing, the built C-Max dot creations. And we're working on slowly being able to get a YouTube together. Now I try to do a lot of content creation and it's easy to be able to make the, the short Instagrams and TikToks. YouTube's a little bit more challenging. So hopefully we're going to grow that in the future, but the same thing, the built C-Max creations. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, for today, this has been Paul Wilson. And I'm Alex Hug. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, this has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. Make sure to like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Once I got rid of that LOI, I had it coming for a minute. We're, just, we're not going to talk about that. But <laughs> after that...